We've just come through a portion of time where we have been studying the Christianese. We were studying different things that you had questions of. We are leaving Christianese behind, though. Uh, The Lord has just kind of pushed me into a new place to go for us. And we'll come back to that. Some of those questions that you had, we'll we'll use those maybe during other times upcoming. But we're on to a new thing this morning. Uh, We're going to the Old Testament. And I got to tell you, I love the Old Testament. And a lot of people have taken the Old Testament and said it's an old thing. That's why it has the word old in its name. Uh, But the reason that it's old is because it's referring to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, which was all about you trying to do a list of rules. And what that old list of rules was really telling you, one, the character of God and how holy he is, but two, that you by yourself can't live up to the rules. There is no way that you're capable of accomplishing for yourself salvation. And that's the old way. It was a sign to you that you need help. But it also points to the new. It points to the New Testament, to the new covenant relationship whereby Jesus made it possible for you to be holy, pure, righteous and made into a child of God, whereby you will be transformed and live with him forever. So I love going to the Old Testament because it propels us towards the New Testament, towards Jesus all the time. Jesus said about the Old Testament, it all talks about me. And so we're not going to give up Jesus. It's everything Jesus. And we're going to go to the Old Testament. And we're going to particularly pay attention to the life of a king uh, during the time of, of the people of God when they had a divided kingdom. And this king's name was Hezekiah. Now, I had an Old Testament professor when I was in Bible school, and he pulled a prank on us. And I decided I wasn't going to pull it on you. It just wasn't nice. Uh, But he came in one day, and here's a bunch of Bible students who think they know everything. And he said, this morning I want you to open your Bible and turn to the book of Hezekiah. And we rifled through our, we could not find this thing. We were going to the table of contents looking for the book of Hezekiah. We could not find the book of Hezekiah. And the reason is because there is no book of Hezekiah. It just sounds like there should be a book of Hezekiah. Uh, But Hezekiah was a king and he's mentioned his story is given in three different books of the Old Testament in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and then also the book of Isaiah. And so as we go through his life, We'll kind of ping pong to different stories, but we're going through chronologically his life and we'll kind of set that in motion today. Uh, Today we will be in the book of 2 Kings. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there, 2 Kings, and we'll be in chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 18. And as you turn there, as we prepare in our in our Bibles, uh, let me tell you just kind of the situation that's going on in Hezekiah's life. Uh, Politically at this time. The people of God are in an interesting situation because they've actually kind of had a civil war and they're now divided into two kingdoms. There's a nation in the north, which they refer to as Israel. And then there's the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. It was made up of the tribe of Judah and also the tribe of Benjamin. Hezekiah was the king of that southern kingdom kingdom he was king of judah at this time Uh, also during that time they had some enemies that surrounded and were kind of intertwined in them they had the philistines which you hear a lot remember goliath was a philistine so they're still having trouble with them you have syria up on the north there was always kind of conflict with syria and then you also have moab and edom which are to the east so all just kind of surrounding there you have this weird political unstable situation going on and we'll deal with some of those people's upcoming but then you also had these two big bullies of nations that were constantly causing pressure on all these smaller less powerful nations you had 
Egypt to the south, which has always kind of been within the scriptures, a very powerful nation. And then you had Assyria to the east. Assyria would be modern day Iraq and Iran and kind of those situations. And so uh, Assyria was starting to impose a lot of its might over onto Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And God will use the Assyrians to kind of get the people of God into obedience. And so that's politically what's kind of going on. That's the situation. But Hezekiah is the king of the southern kingdom of God's people, the kingdom of Judah. Now, um, spiritually, what is going on at this time in the people of God is that they are acting like the people of God. See, they're surrounded by all these countries. And even though they are to be the people of God and worshiping God, they have rather looked at the other countries and said, hey, you know what? Your God looks pretty good. And hey, you know what? Uh, the Philistines, your God looks pretty good. And Assyria, your God looks pretty good. And so they ended up bringing in all these other gods, the kings themselves. Many of them would go off and help bring in these other gods by marrying foreign wives who they would bring their gods with them. And God had warned them, don't, don't marry foreigners not because there was an ethnicity issue about the color of their skin, but because there was a religious issue where they were bringing other things to worship in with them. And so Hezekiah's father had actually helped to build temples to other idols right there near Jerusalem. They would have high places and mountains, which were religious centers, and they would build these temples and, and, and altars to other gods on those places. Um, his own father did that um, as well. Um, his his uh, grandfather, now he, he loved the Lord, but he didn't do anything about the nation and their idolatry. And so they were always kind of gummed up with loving other things. And um, it got so bad that we're talking about spiritually how, we're, how they were, but in Hezekiah's own family life, it caused a lot of problems. His dad, who was King Ahaz, was so given to idolatry that he not only allowed it within the kingdom, but he himself so practiced idolatry that he took his own son and had him sacrificed on the altar of a foreign god. And so if you can imagine, you're Hezekiah, you've come because your father Ahaz has died, and you are now the king, but your father, who was king, had killed your brother. Because he was worshiping another God. Now, that is a messy situation. I don't know if, if you could relate to all that, but a lot of you have messy situations. You know, you might not have a Syria coming at you, and you may not have a dad who killed your brother, but you've got other things going on. And the question is, what are you going to do with the situation that God's given you? The circumstances, the people that are around you, the, the forces and influences that are coming down on you. What are you going to do this day about those circumstances? Now, worldwide today, people are looking at their circumstances and saying, I'm going to change it. How are they doing that? By making resolutions. Okay. By this time, we have probably should have all learned that resolutions do no good. We are not strong enough to keep our own resolutions for ourselves, And so coming into your life circumstances and just saying, I'm going to do something about it. It's not strong enough. It's not going to help you. What do you do in the midst of your life circumstance to deal with the problems that you got? Knowing that, first of all, the biggest problem that you got in your life isn't somewhere else. It's right in your chest. Your own heart is the biggest problem that you got in your life. Because we are so given to sin. And so Hezekiah is going to deal with that. We're going to look at how he starts out today. And um, it's going to give us some encouragement as to how do we deal with life circumstance. So here we go. Uh, Second Kings chapter 18. 
It says in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. So it just kind of gives us a background of who this guy is. Now, Hosea was the king of Israel in the north, so it's just kind of given a, a timeline chron- chronologically. This probably happened between somewhere 727 and 715 B.C. That's before Jesus. So over 700 years before Jesus, that's when this is happening right here. And it says that, that he was 25 years old when he became king, and he was king for 29 years. So can you imagine, what were you doing when you were 25? Yeah, there's laughter. You're, you're probably already just working on your dad's farm or you've gotten out of school and you're entering into your job for the first few years or you've gotten married and you've already got some kids. I mean, that was your life. Now, imagine at 25 years old, the kingdom has just been put in your lap. You have a decision to make as to how you're going to live your life, but not only for you. What are you going to do with this kingdom, this circumstance of responsibility that's around you? And you have to understand that as you consider your own life circumstance at this point, that the decision that you're going to make to deal with your life circumstance is not just going to affect you. Certainly, it has everything to do with your heart, soul, mind, body, everything for yourself. But how is it going to affect the people around you? How's it going to affect your spouse? How's it going to affect your kids, your parents, your co-workers, strangers? The decision that you make to deal with life circumstance doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody. So here, this guy at 25 years old, what am I going to do this day now that I'm king? Well, let's see what happens. It says this right away in verse 3. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his uh, that David, his father had done. So David, who was actually his great, 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 great grandfather. He had been right in the eyes of the Lord and and Hezekiah, as he steps into kingship, he decided he was going to do right. What was in the eyes of the Lord? An important note. He didn't do what was right in his own eyes. He didn't do what was right in the eyes of his countrymen. He didn't do what was right in the eyes of his wife or in the eyes of his kids or his dad. He wasn't so much affected by what other people thought. He was affected by what the Lord thought. The eyes of the Lord, what do they see in me? When you say, what's going on in my life? The best question is to say, Lord, what do you see going on in my life? What do you, what do you see that's crept up in my heart? What do you see where my steps need to go tomorrow and the next day? What do you see, God? Because it is so, so easy to be people pleasers. I remember when I was um, filling out my application for ordination here at this church. It happened, what was the last year I was ordained? And I had to fill out my application and, and I put down references. And so um, they contacted one of my best friends, a ministry partner out in Seattle. And uh, she sent in a reference. And, and um, so I don't know that they were supposed to do this, but when we were having my little uh, interview or interrogation or whatever they were doing with me that night, um, they're grilling me with questions and they revealed something that she had said about me. She said that sometimes Jason has the propensity to be a people pleaser. And that's a good friend. Because, you know, what? I know that she put that on my reference. But I know she said that to my face, too. 
that there are times when Jason is so concerned about what's going on in the eyes of people around me that it might affect the way that I am perceiving how God sees me. That today I might say, let me operate so that I can make everybody just nod their head during the sermon and smile rather than actually give the word of God that might be difficult for you to handle today. I need to be right before the eyes of God because it's his eyes that matter. You're not going to stand on the day of judgment and say, well, I did what I did because my wife thought it would be a good idea. Now, fortunately, hopefully you have a good wife. You have good friends that will say, you know what? I see this in your life. Go and ask God what he sees in this. And they're helping you to put your eyes on Jesus and see what's actually in his eyes. But the place you need to be is to say, you know what? I need to be concerned with what's in the eyes of God. Am I doing right with what's in the eyes of God? Part of me just wanted to keep going on with the Christianese sermon series. Why? We still had questions. Certainly, Lord, you want to finish this up. And the Lord said, no, I want you to preach Hezekiah. I don't know all he's going to do this, but what I need to do is say, okay, okay. Let's go to Hezekiah. So Hezekiah's life was one where he was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David. And we're going to see how it's going to affect him, but it's also going to affect his countrymen. It says here's here's part of what happened as it affected him. Verse four. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze servant, uh, serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. So one of the things that was right in the eyes of the Lord was that it was wrong for everybody to be having these idols. They had these idols everywhere in all the high places. And it was so bad. They were so given to idolatry. That they had taken something that God had given them as something very precious to them. And they had actually begun to worship that item as an idol and offer sacrifices. It's talked about how uh, Moses had this bronze serpent that he put up on a pole. Now, if you don't remember that story, what had happened is years and years and years and years previous, when they had come out of Egypt, as in the Exodus, and they're out in the middle of the wilderness, a plague had come upon the people of Israel. And it was just ravishing the people. And part of it was punishment from God. And so God had Moses come and and take a a bronze snake and put it on a pole and lift that up. And the scripture says that anyone who looked upon that bronze snake that was on the pole would be healed. And so everybody who looked on it was healed. And in fact, that story of that snake being on that pole was a foreshadow. It was a preview of what would happen when Thousands of years later, Jesus Christ, who took your sin and was a curse, was lifted up on that tree, on that pole, and died for your sins. And the scriptures say clearly that that was a picture of Jesus, that Jesus was lifted up. But here, they had taken this item that had been great. What a great story of God's power. And instead of worshiping God for it, they were worshiping the article that God had used. That seems really a bronze snake and a pole. No, but really, how often do we take the things that maybe God has used in the presence of our church community and actually put more power and worship those things and protect those things more than just God himself? Consider even the furniture that we have. Consider the the way that we do things. Consider the history of things and how much we worship the histories of churches. The things that have gone on in churches are great when God's been involved in them. But but 
to just worship those things can be devastating. And so it says here that Hezekiah looked out at all these things. And instead of just letting them go on, he went out and he destroyed them. He broke them all down. Let me ask you a question. How do you think the people responded to that? They'd actually loved and worshipped and given financially to those things. And suddenly Hezekiah saying, no, that's not right with the Lord. And he goes down and breaks down things, possibly when people were in the middle of worshiping them. How is it with a child when you go and take away that that toy? That they won't give up, even though it's time to eat dinner. And they scream and cause a fit. You know what? The same thing happens when you and somebody takes away the things you love. And certainly as Hezekiah went out, people were like, no, you don't. Now, I don't know if they said it with a Joko draw, but that's what he was doing. You know, that's what he was facing. No, you don't. But Hezekiah knew what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So he goes down, he breaks down these idols. Second, verse five. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that uh, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. And so Hezekiah has broken down the idols. And then it says here that what was important about him is that he trusted in the Lord and that he held fast to the Lord. What that means is he took his heart and said, I'm giving everything that I put my hope in under to say, you're my hope. I'm not going to trust in the walls of the city. I'm not going to trust in how big our army is. I'm not going to trust in how much money I got or how many people like me. I'm going to trust in you, God. And you tell me whatever it is you want me to do. And I'm going to hold fast to you. I'm not going to let nothing rob you from my heart because it's all about you. I saw what my dad did and I saw what uh, my granddad did and all the others who have said we will worship other things. But Lord, I'm going to worship you. And Hezekiah trusted the Lord and he held fast to the Lord. And as a result of that, he went out and did what the Lord commanded him. And he defended against the Assyrians to help protect the people. And he went and continued to, 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 to pursue after the, the Philistines as the Lord wanted him to. And he was, operating, he, was, he was obeying the commands of the Lord. And the thing that I kind of want to settle on and send you out with today is this. I think there's a, a certain progression to the things that's described in Hezekiah's life. First of all, God had done a miracle, I think, in revealing to Hezekiah the idolatry. The first thing that God will do to you when he loves you and he's pursuing you is he comes to you and shows you just how wretched your heart is. You have to know how sinful you are. We talk about the worst enemy is in your chest. Your heart, your heart is so deceitful. And so as you operate in life and you go through, your heart is so deceitful, it begins to tell yourself, I'm not really that bad. And the things that I'm doing aren't really that bad. And see, my mom says it's okay. And my kids think it's okay. And a lot of people are happy. But is that what the eyes of the Lord see? One of the first ways you can know that the Lord loves you is he'll, he'll come to you and he'll say, look what you love more than me. You love this more than me. It may not actually be a, 
a thing that's morally right or wrong just in and of itself. But but you love that thing so much that it's become an idol for you. God, when he loves you, comes and shows you where your heart is wrong, what you love more than him. And I'm not going to go around this room and, and quiz you all onto what your idol is, because the reality is this. You probably don't know. Sometimes it's easy to look at the big thing and say, obviously, that is it. I've got this big, huge idol up on a hilltop, and it's obvious that's it. I imagine that within the kingdom of your heart, there's a lot of high places. And the Lord continues to go after all those things and say, now here's one. And now here's one. And now here's one that's coming back. So what are those idols in your heart? What are they? And then after that, after the Lord kind of shows you your idols, he calls you to give them up. Let him crush them. Trust him with that. There's a lot of fear in that and saying, what are other people going to think? How am I going to operate? But you trust the Lord, hold fast that he's going to he's he's going to be with you. Just like the song that Tim sang. He's never going to leave you. He's right there with you. Trust him and hold fast to him. Because he's he's everything. He's altogether wonderful to me. And so you have the idols crushed. You turn for those things. You turn toward God. And you trust him. And then you do the business of obeying God every day. Whatever he tells you to do, you go and do that thing as as big or as little as that is. You don't go become a people pleaser. In and only through Jesus do you become a God pleaser. You've given up your idols. You have trusted him and hold fast. And now you go on and do the things that he asks you to do. And in those things you please him. Now, don't get those things crossed. You can't say, well, it's a new year. 2017 is here, so I'm just going to automatically go and do all the rules that God's given me to do. You can't start there. You have to start with the idols. You have to have the idols crushed and have your whole heart turned towards trusting God and holding fast to him and then go. Because if you don't, the obedience is all just a show. It's actually not worth anything. It's hiding what's on the inside. Now, I got a secret to tell you this morning. I'm, I'm hiding something from you. I've been hiding. Some, I've been here up here all morning. And you haven't been able to see it. Many of you have heard before and know that I have uh, something um, that I love, and that's the iron. I love I like ironing clothes and I'm not judging it. If you do got wrinkled clothes, I'm not judging you. I just my mom taught me to iron and I like to iron. So I, on Sunday mornings, I'm up ironing and. Um, on my shirt this morning, I only ironed this part, OK? All morning, I've been hiding this part, which is totally wrinkled. You know, 
But what happens when you go try to do your good things without first giving up your idols and trusting in the Lord for salvation? If you just go on and try to do the, the, the commands and just do rules and try to please God by once in a while, you know, doing something for him or giving to the offering plate or, or, or baking a pie for somebody. If you're just doing good things without first settling your heart, you know what you're doing? You don't have your shirt ironed. You just put on a sweater. OK, you're completely hiding underneath the true issues. And you know what's worse? This morning I was walking through the door and I looked down. I got a stain on here somewhere. It didn't even help to put on a sweater. And I'm pretty sure it's a coffee stain, so it's a legit stain. It's okay. But, you know, it didn't even help. You're not fooling God. You are working before his eyes. You might have fooled all of us. I fooled you. You had no idea I had a wrinkled shirt because I was wearing a sweater. But you know what? I didn't fool God in something that simple. He knew I had a wrinkled shirt. You're not fooling anybody by being churchy. Well, you might be. You might be fooling us. But you're not fooling God. Within your heart, you might still have all these idols that you're carrying around juggling. Being like, I'm I'm baked that pie for you. You know, I've done all this. And all the while, God says, it's not helping. You need Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees and about the Pharisees? Here are these people, they, they lived, breathed, and ate the rules. They did everything perfectly and so perfectly that they added rules just to make sure they were doing them perfectly. And Jesus said, you know what the Pharisees are? They're like a grave full of bones that are dead, yet on the white outside they've painted themselves up white to look pretty. And when you're operating just in doing things, in your own efforts, in your own works, the scripture says that that is futile. You are living in death and that will not help you in your relationship with God. And as a result, not only will it affect your relationship with God, but as we said, it'll affect the relationships with those around you. Everybody else may think everything is golden, but at your heart, you are sinful and wicked. And if you do not deal with your heart, it'll affect the integrity of the relationships around you. You know that thing that you're hiding from your spouse? It's going to kill that relationship. You know that thing that your boss doesn't know about? And it didn't show up on the, the line item budget at work, so nobody really knows. It's going to get you. And it's going to affect that. But worst of all, You might show up at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you have just been living rules and you think that one's going to outweigh you, you've done more good than you've done bad. And you stand there on that day and say, but look, my my sweater's been ironed. I've done all this good. God will look you in the eyes and say, but I do not know you. With his eyes, he will look at you at that day and say, you weren't right before me. You did not allow your heart to be mine. You cannot enter into 2017 and think all your resolutions are going to do it. You cannot think that if your paycheck is going to increase, that it's going to better your life in the way that you want. You cannot think that if you lose more weight, 
or put on enough creams or do whatever that you're going to do that it's going to make your life any better. You've got to deal with the heart, and the only thing that can do that is Jesus. So A lot of people will say, well, where do I start? Ask what the eyes of the Lord see in your heart. Seriously, put yourself before the Lord and just say, Lord, what do you see in me? And if you see anything in me that's idolatrous, Lord, would you clean that out? Would you clean that out? It might be the littlest of littlest things. You know what? Even a little pebble in your shoe causes a lot of hurt. Let the Lord look into your heart and say, I see this. And if there be anything that's idolatrous that you are worshiping other than Jesus. I'll tell you what to do with that. You run that idol straight to the cross and you crush it. You let Jesus take that thing away and trust him with that. And that thing that was an issue in you. You know what's really neat about when you take your idols to Jesus? Instead of continuing to be that little thing in your shoe, it's like that little piece of sand that's in the shell. And Jesus took that thing, wraps it and wraps it and wraps it and wraps it and wraps it in his grace. And then it stands like a pearl for you. And that thing, that, that idol you had, it was awful. But now in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, it's beautiful. Not that the sin is beautiful, but man, look what Jesus did. It's a good thing. Let the Lord look into your heart and say, I see this. And then turn from that thing. Trust him to take it away. Say, Lord, take away my sin. And then go do what he says. Then go live this year the way he tells you to live. Don't go live as a people pleaser. Don't go live as a pastor pleaser. Go live as a Jesus pleaser. And whatever he tells you to do. When he tells you to do it, do it. That's your worship. You just say, okay, I'll do that thing. And one thing that somebody came to me recently and said, I, I've seen the Lord do this in my heart. You know, I was a man like this. I was, uh, and, and yet Jesus suddenly got a hold of me. And he's changed my heart. And as a result, now I want to live for him. I've turned from my ways. I, I'm living for him because he did something in my heart. He came up and said, now I want to be baptized. I want to tell God, but I want to tell the world that what Jesus has done in my heart. And so I want to invite that also for any of you who, who have loved Jesus and you want to respond in that way. If you need to be baptized, we're going to do a baptismal service at the end of January. And so please come and talk to me. Baptism is not something you do just because the Lord commanded you do it because he did something first in your heart. And if you need to be baptized, come talk to me. We're going to have a great, great service of celebration that uh, whatever day we plan for. But please come talk to me. But before you consider baptism or, or going out the door and doing a service project, consider first how Jesus views your heart. If he sees something in you, ask him to tell you. And then you take that thing straight to the cross. Father, we thank you for the life of Hezekiah and just how it's illustrated for us. Thank you that we get to see what great effect it had in the people of Judah.
it was healthy for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you that when we do give up these things that we have come to love and to worship and to sacrifice things to even. Lord, that that is harmful to us and it's hurtful to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would look into our hearts and that you would show us where we have idols, where we love things more than we love you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to take those things to you and to trust that you will not only forgive us, but then you will empower us and continue to walk with us as we resist those things and pursue obedience in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to not be people pleasers. But to live in Jesus and thereby be Jesus pleasers. I thank you for my friends here. I pray that we would be healthy for one another, that we wouldn't call each other to pursue idols, but rather that we would call each other to pursue you. And as we do, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name.